everybody. It's great to see you all. The Lord is here, even in the big and the small numbers. I'm so happy to see you guys, and I'm excited to dive into scriptures once again, like we do every week. So if you would bow your heads with me, we will go ahead and get started. Father, we come to you with humble hearts and ready ears, willing to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, we know that you will speak to us. We can learn something tonight. So, Father, I ask that we can take a big, deep breath, settle in as we hear the joys of the children. Lord, we are reminded that all of us are in your family, and we celebrate everyone who is here tonight. Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so we are continuing through our Matthew series, and we are continuing talking about parables. If you have missed the last couple of weeks, we have hit a point in Matthew where Jesus has started speaking in these wonderful stories that we call parables that we know have some sort of hidden meaning. So when Jesus talks in these stories, we know that there's some sort of underlying message that initially when you hear it, you might not know what it means but it requires a careful listen, some meditation, coming back to it regularly, and then looking for what that deeper meaning is. So we've read the phrase several times, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And we know that the purpose of these parables is that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here, we know that it, when we hear that phrase, we can expect some sort of triumphant proclamation of the coming of Jesus's kingdom, and it also is going to require some response. And the disciples and followers of Jesus tend to really hear and understand what it means, whereas the Pharisees and other people who are rejecting Jesus's message, they do not hear, they do not understand. And so our passage tonight is really just a continuation of last week's parable that we talked about. Jesus told the parable, he's in a boat, he's talking to a crowd on the shore, he finishes that parable, and then he continues right on with this parable. This parable tonight, we're talking about wheat, so we are continuing our study of botany, which I'm excited for. We're going to learn some things about wheat tonight. So if you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to be starting in verse 24. All right, read with me. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner, and just pause, when we hear the word slaves, we kind of assume a lot of things of what our modern concept of slavery is. That's not what slavery looked like in this time, so this is more just someone who was hired to work this field, so just a side note there. Uh, So he came to the landowner and said to him, sir, didn't you sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. Then the slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up, take out all of the tares? And he said, no, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may also uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow 
until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up, but gather the wheats in my barn. Now, this is just the first section of our passage tonight. Similar to last week, we kind of have Jesus tells a parable and then he just kind of keeps talking and then later on he's going to explain it. So we're just going to digest this first chunk of passage and understand a little bit of what's happening. So to set the scene, as a quick summary, we have a man who sowed a good seed. This is a good thing. Then we also have an enemy who sowed tear or weed. I'm going to talk about what that word is in just a little bit. Uh, but this was intentional of the enemy. So it's not like someone just accidentally sowed some really bad weeds. Uh, they went into the field. And so this was actually viewed as an act of revenge. And there was actually a Roman law that was prohibiting people to do this. So this was, I would imagine, common because there had to be a law about it. Um, but that you couldn't sow tares among wheat. So the problem is that, well, the wheat is going to be affected by the weeds. I'll use tear and weeds interchangeably, just so you know. And so then the proposed solution to the problem, well, let's just pull the weeds. Easy enough, right? And the answer was no. Don't pull the weeds. They're going to damage the wheat. And so allow both of them to grow, the wheat and the weeds together, until it's time for harvest. So just a word about what the meaning of that word tear is. So obviously we know wheat, good, provides food. A tear is gonna be poisonous, tears. Uh, poisonous, it's gonna make you sick. But what's difficult is that it looks very identical to wheat. So first, in case you forgot what wheat looks like, wheat, all right, uh, looks very good and we understand, yeah, I know what that looks like. Okay, now let's go to the next picture. That looks really similar to what the wheat looks like. Now, let's compare the two, go to the next photo. They are nearly identical. Now, this is the tricky part, is that when they're growing together, you actually can't tell the difference between the two until the harvest. So this is what's tricky, is the field is growing, it's blossoming, you're like, great, look at this great field of wheat. And then when it gets to the end of the harvest, then you realize, oh no. I have some really good, healthy things, and I have some very poisonous things. So there's one more picture just to depict the difference between the two. Now, someone who is a farmer and does this for their living, and maybe that is you in this room, and you're like, yeah, easy, I can totally spot that. I would spot that from a mile away. Me, I'm like, oh, <laughs> those look identical to me. I don't know that I could have differentiated be between the two. And the importance here is that you really can't differentiate until there's a certain point at the stage of growth and how they can be identified. So, okay, we have the story, we have some wheat, we have some weeds, but what does this have to do with the kingdom of God? <laughs> a, a mix of wheat and weeds and that they can't be separated or uprooted until the point of harvest. So let's now flip to chapter 13, verses 36, and this is where Jesus is gonna explain the parable. So Jesus, he left the crowds and went into the house. Quick pause, if you were here last week, you heard that Jesus was actually in a house and he was talking to his disciples and then he went to the sea and he talked to big crowds and now he's going back into a house. So this is just a small aside, it's not even that important, but just to kind of help visualize what's going on as it relates to the narrative, which is, that they are representative, the crowds is kind of representative of the understanding of Jesus' parables. 
So when he's in house talking to his disciples, this is going to be the intimate times where he's actually explaining the parables. But when he's in the crowds, he kind of is understanding not everyone's going to know what I'm saying. And so we kind of know Jesus is going to the house to talk to his disciples. We're going to understand. He's going to start explaining. He's going to reveal as we're trying to understand what the kingdom of God is like. He's going to reveal this to his disciples. All right, continuing in verse 36. So the disciples came to him and said, hey, could you explain to us the parable of the tares in the field? Because uh, frankly, if I was a disciple, I'd be thinking the same thing. Okay, we understand that they look the same and then they're different. What does that have to do with the kingdom? So Jesus answers, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of the fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, I feel like the first half of that passage, you're like, all right, cool, I'm, I'm tracking. And then the second half just goes south really fast. <laughs> and you're kind of like, oh no, what does this mean? And this is kind of intense. Why are we talking about burning and gnashing of teeth? So we'll take it one piece at a time. We know that the first few verses, 37 through 39, this is gonna be the parallels between the last uh, passage and what their meanings are. So let's just line them up so we can understand. The sower of the good seed, the son of man. Side note, Jesus has called himself the son of man already, um, but this is really kind of like an attributing, uh, he's attributing authority to himself because in the first passage, you can understand that really probably the only person who could sow a good seed would be the father. And so the fact that Jesus is now putting himself in that slot as the son of man, he's just kind of overlapping the father and the son of man. So even though we kind of gloss over that and we're like, yeah, obviously, for a lot of the listeners, especially the disciples, they haven't maybe quite lined those things up yet. So this is just kind of a passing. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the son of man and I have the authority to do this. It's just another like reiteration of his authority and intimacy and partnership with the father. Okay. Anyway, so we have the sower of the good seed is the son of man. And we have the sower of the bad seed, the devil. The field is the world. And then we have the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom and the bad seeds are the sons of the evil one. Now, this is kind of interesting. Sons of the evil one, seeds of the evil one. That isn't really language we've heard before or talked about much. So what I want to do, just like we did last week, I want to go back to Genesis because everything always comes back to Genesis. So we are going to look at Genesis 3, verses 13 through 15. So let me flip. You don't have to flip. It'll be on the screen. Okay, so what has just happened is the woman... Eve, she has eaten from the tree. You know the story. All right, verse 13. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, 
Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Now this is the important verse. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now that continues on, but this is the, va- the verse that I want to circle in on and just kind of walk ourselves slowly through this verse. So we have the very, I'm just going to take it line by line. The first line, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman. So to just hash that out a little bit, we have, I will put opposition or hostility between the serpent and Eve. Okay, so we can understand that's where we're at. So the, the two are opposed, the serpent and the woman. Now, the next line, and he's going to put enmity between your seed and her seed. So we have between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Next line, he, the seed of the woman, shall bruise you, the seed of the serpent, on the head. Next line, and you shall bruise, you is now the seed of the serpent, shall bruise him, the seed of the woman, on the heel. Now, I do this because in our passage, we have some descendants here of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy. So when we talk about the seed of the serpent, we don't need to talk about literal children of Satan. I think that kind of makes our head spin and we don't really know what to do with that. But you can think of it maybe more generally in terms of those that are sown in the way of the enemy. And so you can talk about this passage is the first indication of the coming of the Messiah, right? So we know that there's a fulfillment that Jesus, the Messiah, the seed, is the wounded victor. But there's also just animosity between the seed of the woman, who is the Messiah, the people in the kingdom, as well as the seed of the serpent, of the enemy. So the seed of the serpent is going to be persecuting and mistreating humans, destroying image bearers, stripping them of love and identity and the joy that is offered to them. We've seen those sorts of seeds of the serpents, right? They're rebels against the word of God. Their goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. But then, people who look like the seed of the woman is going to be people who bring hope of a new kingdom, hope of restoration, hope of victory, hope of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. So now when we have this in our minds, when we go back to our passage, because as we know, when the Jews were listening to Jesus talk. They know their Hebrew Bible really well. It's all just loaded. So sometimes Jesus will just throw out a mention. He'll just mention something. And we aren't like this, <laughs> us Westerners. Uh, but the Jews, they knew. They knew their scriptures. So they're like, oh, they're just cluing into all of these passages. So this is why sometimes we have to go back and we just need to, okay, so this is kind of what's probably coming to their minds when they're reading it. And we're training our minds to do the same. So now... When we're going back to our passage, we, the seeds of the kingdom, the wheat, are living amongst seeds of the serpent, the weeds. And we know, still, we're not to be separated until the harvest or the end of the time. So
so when now we get back to the second half, the scary part, you know, that we talked about, about <laughs> uh, the gnashing of the teeth, uh, just a couple of notes when we're talking about the end of time. First is oftentimes when we're reading apocalyptic language is the word I'll use, it's important to remember that apocalyptic literature itself is revealing something that was hidden. And it's full of metaphors, it's full of poetry, it's very difficult to pinpoint exact meanings, and we often take it more literally than we should. We try and put timelines on it, we try and say this equals this. I don't think it's quite that straightforward. And then also sometimes we tend to zero in on verses and basically throw out whatever we were just reading. <laughs> so in this context, we're like, oh yeah, wheat, weeds, end times. I don't even care that I was reading about wheat. We're reading about end times now. And I think that it really does a, a injustice to what we were reading, and that's not good Bible reading. We need to keep it in its context and remember its purpose. So this passage I could go really deep down the rabbit hole, but we don't have time for that, and that's not quite fully the purpose of this passage, but this is all riffing off of the book of Daniel. If you are curious, go read the book of Daniel. It's amazing, and it's confusing, and there's beasts, and there's dragons, and there's horns, and there's kingdoms and kings, and grab a, a commentary and start diving in, and it's all really good. Um, but we have images of ancient of days, which is like the Father, God the Father in Daniel 7, who is burning with fire and reigning on a throne, and a river is pouring from the throne, and that's all beautiful imagery, you know, a river flowing from a throne. That's imagery of the garden and imagery of Ezekiel and all great nerdy things. Um, and then we have the Son of Man is presented to the ancient of days, and the Son of Man is given authority. He's given dominion, he's given a kingdom which will not be destroyed. And so then in our passage, you know, we have, we see the Son of Man, he's, he has this authority and he's gathering the weeds. This is, again, going back to the Son of Man having this authority that the Father has that wasn't maybe something that the people would think that the Son of Man would have this ability. And uh, the Son of Man is gathering the weeds and we see in our passage um, taking out of his kingdom, he's also taking out stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. So the stumbling blocks is also just things that cause sin in this world. So it's not just people that are causing sin, but also things. And the very last verse in our passage about the righteousness will shine forth brightly like a sun. This is also a reference to Daniel, Daniel 12. And uh, if you ever are curious to do a study on stars, shining stars, it's very interesting uh, to me. <laughs> and the rabbit hole runs deep on this one as well. There's connections to the priesthood, our representative of stars. Um, Abraham and his descendants are you know, numbered like stars in the sky. So that's kind of continuing with that theme of seeds, descendants, the kingdom of God. So, um, where I don't want to spend a lot of time is trying to unload information about the book of Daniel into your brains. Um, but I heard an illustration by Tim Mackey, one of my favorites, that I thought was really helpful for this topic. So I'm going to do, try and do it justice, um, his illustration. Um, but 
this is how it starts. So, a lot of times we think that as we're living our lives, if we're on a linear line, um, we're living our lives and then at some point we die and we either go to heaven or we go to hell. And that's the dichotomy, heaven or hell. Where are you going to go? Are you saved? Are you going to heaven? You're not saved, you're going to hell. Uh, but think of the very first line in the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And that's different. The dichotomy isn't heaven and hell. In the beginning God didn't create heaven and hell, he created heaven and earth. And so what we have is this unity of God's space and man's space. Heaven and earth was always meant to be one space. This is where God can dwell with man. This is the garden. This is where man can rule on this earth with the authority given by God, man and woman together. And that space was broken by sin, which of course we know. So if you're thinking of it, what was once a circle is now a Venn diagram, two circles like this, all right? So we have God's space and man's space. This has been broken. We've talked about this before. And there are times where those spaces line up in the middle of the Venn diagram. We have spaces like temples, tabernacles. This is where through God's ability to put together um, sacrifices, this is a cleansing space that a priest can interact with God in a holy space on earth. That's where some of that Venn diagram is. So we have God's space and man's space. And the problem is that hell has been introduced into man's space. And the people who have introduced it is actually us. We are the ones that are wreaking hell on ourselves and each other. Hell has no place in God's world. It has entered into our space and it is destroying us. And you know that. We live this every single day. It is being perpetuated by seeds of the serpent, people who are just out here to live evil in this world. Uh, but all we have to do is look in a mirror and realize the evil is in us too. And so what God is doing is he is trying to get rid of hell in this world and in ourselves, in our lives. And so Jesus's response is to bring his good news, his kingdom, to push hell out of our space and bring these spaces together. All right, how you doing? Are you with me so far? So in the end, in order to get this evil space or this evil hell out of our space, I should say, the destruction of the weeds is necessary. We have to rid evil of this world. It's a part of God's kingdom plan to bring this world back to what its original plan was, which is to be this beautiful, abundant, blossoming garden where we can dwell with him. Now, let's bring it all back together. In context of our passage, I have three things for you tonight. I have a challenge, an encouragement, and a piece of hope. The first one, a challenge. We do not get to decide who is a wheat and who is a weed. So the landowner did not let the servant decide and separate who the wheat was from the weeds. He's like, oh no, we have these weeds in our field. I know what to do. I'll pull them out. I'll take care of it. He didn't know which was which. 
<laughs> he thought he did. That's why he offered to do it. And Jesus said, no, no. Jesus simply has no interest in giving us the responsibility of who is saved and who is not, and who is in God's kingdom and who is not. So my challenge to you, stop doing this. <laughs> we are not the ones who get to decide, yes, saved, not saved, wheat, weed. We do this all the time, but Jesus right here is saying, nope, this is not for you. We do not, we do not know. The point of the parable is, you think you know, or you think everyone is saved. They all look the same, but it's not until the point of the harvest that you actually know what they are, if they are wheat or if they are a weed. So the challenge is, well, our only option is keep growing with the weeds. Keep growing with the weeds. All right, next, an acknowledgement and an encouragement. Watching someone appear to turn from a wheat to a weed is a painful experience. Watching someone appear to turn from a wheat to a weed is a painful experience, and I have a feeling that you have lived this already. We've lived long enough to know what it's like to grow with someone, learn from someone, look up to someone who starts to walk away from their faith. I'll just think about it for just a minute. I feel like immediately you probably thought of someone. It could be an old pastor, someone who was in a leadership who failed, or even like the celebrity pastor, which I hate that phrase anyways, but for lack of better words, uh, someone who is looked at from the Christian community, but also from the world, and knows that person is a believer and claims the name of Jesus, and then you find out that they had some really significant downfall, and sometimes I just like cringe and think like, oh, what do people think about the Lord if they think, why would I even be a Christian? Because look at how terrible that person was. Uh, but it even could be closer than that. A loved one, a parent, a sibling. So I just want to first acknowledge that it is painful and it is hard to move forward when you see that happen. But my encouragement is to remember the parable, which is that we don't know until the very end what their heart is. And I know that might be hard to swallow, hard to believe when you're like, no, really, that person is not saved. There is no way that they are. Remember the first point. We are not given the ability to know if someone is saved or if they are not. The Lord is the one who knows, and he separates them at the end. So don't write them off. Redemption and restoration is always possible. And then my last point, which is just a simple message of hope. Evil can only flourish for so long, and the harvest is coming. So if we know that there will be a time when God is going to get the hell out of here, get the hell out of our space, then we can find hope that that day will come. Those seeds of the serpent, the evil that we too bring upon ourselves and bring upon one another, they will be taken out. Their goal was to wreak havoc on the kingdom, but the Lord will put an end to it and he will remove it. So hell is seeped into our world and the Lord is bringing his kingdom here to this earth today, now, 
and is reminding us of the hope that evil will be gone once and for all. So as we close, as the band can come up, I just want you to think about in your heart and in your mind whether it's one of these three points or it's another point that you have just been challenged with tonight. Do you need to be reminded of, man, that person that I was so, that was so close to me that I feel like has walked away from the Lord? Like, what do I do with them? What do I do now? Do they need to be ripped out of this community of my life? Um, just know that the Lord knows their heart. The Lord is going to keep a hold of them. He who has done a good work in you will carry it to completion. And maybe if you're sitting here thinking a little bit like, I'm a little more willing to say, weed, 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 weed. Maybe you just need to take a breather and just slow down and stop. That was never given to us. And if right now you just feel like chaos is raging in your heart, raging in your life. Just remember the hope of the kingdom the kingdom that is here, and the final fulfillment of that kingdom when the Lord will rid evil. These, all of these are available to you tonight. So I'm just going to pray for us before we finish off. Lord, we thank you for the goodness of your heart that you do not let evil wreak havoc any longer. Lord, we know that your love is so abundant that you do not want to let us sit here in our pain and in our anger. And Lord, even when the hard things need to be done, like taking the weeds out, we trust that that is your way of bringing the peace and the love and the harmony that is intended for our world. So Lord, we love you. We trust you. I pray for challenge in our hearts wherever we need to be pushed or encouraged or given hope. We love you in your name. Amen.